the greatest commandment of the law is that which will give us eternal life. Now, the Lord, the man clearly asked our Lord with a bad motive because it says right here, the certain lawyer stood up tempting him, right? And then later on, he's going to seek to justify himself. So this is not a man of goodwill. I mean, at least not in this place, he's not. Um, he's, he, he's a lawyer, so he's wise and prudent in that negative connotation of those words. Um, and he's trying to set up our Lord. Okay, verse 26, but he said to him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? Now, noted as an apologetical aside, um, he's, asking our, he's asking the man, our Lord's turning it on the man, you know, what do you say? And he's asking the man for an extra biblical critique of the Bible itself. In other words, the Bible doesn't say, here is the greatest commandment of the law, or here is what you must do to possess eternal life, and then go on to say these things. In fact, uh, this is something of dispute in the rabbinical schools. These were questions that were debated. So when he goes to our Lord and asks him this, our Lord um, is, is giving, he's weighing in, or actually, he's having the man weigh in, and he agrees. He puts his imprimatur on it, uh, on a question that was disputed in the rabbinical schools. What is the greatest um, commandment? So our Lord, they're talking about something which was extra-biblical. It was outside of the canon of the scriptures uh, that existed in the day, in those days. It, in other words, it completely undermines the concept of sola scriptura. Next verse, he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and with thy whole soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and their neighbor and thy neighbor as thyself. So this is from, this actually stitches together two passages from the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy 6, 4-5 and Leviticus 19, 8. The bit about loving the neighbor as thyself is, I believe, the passage from Leviticus 19, 18, not 8. Um, and part of this is an expansion of the prayer that the Jews call the Shema, the, the uh, Shema Yisrael, the Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. Um, and then they add these other things to it in this in this prayer that the Orthodox Jews to this day still say. So these are the evangelical commandments that are the summary of the entire law, the two tablets, right? The first tablet, um, commandments one, two, and three headed by that first command, which is the most important, that's the love of God, right? The second uh, precept, the second evangelical precept, which is, again, this comes from the Old Testament, so it's an elevation of what already existed in the Mosaic Law, is the love of neighbor, right? Headed with um, commandment number four, thou shalt uh, honor honor thy father and thy mother. So uh, that is the first, because they're your first neighbors, right? So uh, our relationships with our fellow mortals, our fellow uh, humans, begins with our neighbors. So the the two tablets of the law uh, are summarized in these two commandments. But these are the greatest commandments. All right. By loving Christ, we will fulfill both of them, because our Lord Jesus Christ himself, as God and man, comes down to be, he's already our God from all eternity, right? Now he becomes our neighbor. He becomes nigh to us. He becomes near to us. He's our neighbor. By rejecting and crucifying him, the Jews violated both of their own greatest commandments. They, they, re- they rejected the love of God by, by attacking God himself, and they rejected the love of neighbor by attacking their neighbor, their kinsmen. 
Um, St. Bernard says uh, that the measure of loving God is to love God without measure. It's a very famous passage from St. Bernard. And Cornelius Alapide, who I consulted uh, when I planned out this these these notes, when I made these notes that I'm taking, these are my personal notes that I made, um, he uh, uh, has to quote St. Bernard in this passage. Um, all right, so St. Augustine, for his part, points out that the love of self is not excluded. So you, you, we, we look at this as a, a twofold love, the love of God and the love of neighbor, but it really is implicitly a threefold love. It's the love of God, the love of self, and the love of neighbor. And why is love of self implicit in it? Well, because if, you, if, you, if you're not supposed to love yourself, then you can't love your neighbor as yourself. And I've actually heard people say with a straight face, no, you're not supposed to love yourself. You're supposed to love your neighbor. But it says love your neighbor as yourself. So if you don't love yourself, then loving your neighbor as yourself means you don't love your neighbor. So we have a horrible oxymoron in this, in this um, you know, second great commandment of the law, by the way. Um, Brother Francis, and this is one thing that I, that I thought was a fantastic aspect of his um, exegesis of this uh, parable. He talks about the true love of neighbor. So Brother says that, you know, you can look at these two commandments as of a piece, right, as related. Um, you truly love yourself only when you love God, because in loving God, you're doing what you're supposed to do. In loving God, you're fulfilling your purpose. And in loving God, you're going to benefit from the love of God himself. So loving God with theological charity, that abides forever, not only in this life, but in heaven. So loving yourself uh, includes the idea of, well, I'm going to think I'm going to love myself enough to do what is right by God and love him, and I will maximize my love of myself because I will benefit greatly from the love of God, right? Make sense? I hope so. If you love your neighbor as yourself, and if you really authentically love yourself, then this requires that you strive to bring your neighbor to the love of God. In other words, this second great commandment of the law is itself apostolic because it suggests that we are introducing the neighbor as much as it's possible to the love of God. And of course, to bring him to that, you have to bring him to faith and hope first, right? Because charity doesn't exist without faith or hope. Uh, so uh, a little... A little um, encouragement to be apostolic. Uh, Verse 28, and he said to him, thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. Um, So uh, what does this prove? Well, uh, how many times have you heard a Protestant who's into um, sola fides say, well, you don't have to do anything to be saved, just believe. Aside from the fact that believing is doing something, um, just sort of set that aside for a moment. Our Lord says to him, this do and thou shalt live. And what is it that you're supposed to do? Is it faith alone? No, it's loving your loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. If you don't do that, you won't live. If you do it, you will live. These are good works, right? So this is a great uh, apologetical argument that's implicit in this parable. But he willing to justify himself said to Jesus, this is verse 29, and who is my neighbor? 
So there are different ways of one somebody justifying himself. Obviously, you can you can justify yourself by legitimately defending yourself when you've been falsely accused. Uh, God justifies you when he brings you into sanctifying grace. But of course, we can also justify ourselves in that bogus sense of making lame excuses or setting something up to make ourselves look good uh, in a certain setting, whereas we don't really deserve to look good. Um, by the way, Leviticus 19.18 had friend. Thou shalt love thy friend as thyself. He, it wasn't neighbor. Uh, Jesus actually uh, alters this and elevates it. This is one of the places where Jesus elevates the, the, the Mosaic law. He shows the, the very difference between friend and neighbor in this particular parable. All right, verse 30. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among robbers, who also stripped him, and having wounded him, went his way, leaving him half dead. So this, so, okay, a certain man. There is literally a place between Jerusalem and Jericho called Adamim, or at least it was named that in our Lord's day, and the word means red or bloody. Why was it called that? Because it was infested with robbers. And remember, robbery is not just theft, right? Robbery is not just stealing. Robbery is violent crime. It includes um, you know, harming the person whose stuff you're taking. Um, so it could very well be that our Lord was talking about an actual incident that happened. Um, if what he's talking about in this parable was not an actual incident that happened, uh, it was something that is a variation on a theme of real things that did happen because of the horrible, violent things that happened in this place called Aramim between Jericho and Jerusalem. Now, by the way, going a certain man, by the way, the Hebrew word for man is Adam. Okay, so he's talking about the human race uh, going down uh, from Going from Jerusalem to Jericho is going down, and it's, yeah, I'll, I'll talk more about this later. I'm um, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. And it chanced that a certain priest went down the same way, and seeing him passed by. This is verse 31. Now, this is an Aaronic priest, a priest descended from Aaron, the high priest, the brother of Moses. This should be somebody who, aside from being set aside for the worship of God, is going to be doing good works, going to be doing works of mercy as exemplified uh, you know, exemplifying the uh, mercy that's built into the law of Moses. But he didn't. He hardened his heart and he passed the man by. In like manner, also a Levite, when he was near the place, saw him passed by. So um, all, all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests, right? Aaron was of the tribe of Levi, like his brother Moses, but only the descendants of Aaron, only the male descendants of Aaron are the Kohanim, the priests, but all the other male descendants of Levi are uh, of the Levitical tribe, and they're of a priestly tribe, but they are not all priests. So, but they were all set aside to serve the altar. So um, in, the, in the New Law, in the New Testament, we refer to deacons as Levites. All right, uh, verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, being on his journey, came near him, and seeing him was moved with compassion. Now, as we established, the Samaritans were absolutely hated. Um, so this proves that not only our friends, but even our enemies are our neighbors. And again, what's a neighbor? And, and the word, in, the Latin word, I'm not sure that the Greek word, but the Latin word in this context means somebody who's near, somebody who's proximate to you. In fact, we get the word proximate for the Latin word for neighbor. 
Um, and and the word neighbor in English comes from an old older word meaning near, huh? So it's somebody who's near to you. Uh, that's the literal meaning of this word. Uh, verse 34, And going up to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and setting him upon his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. St. Augustine has the beast being the flesh of Christ. Um, and to be set upon it is to believe in the incarnation, is to have faith in the incarnation of the Son of God. Uh, note the elements that are the man used for curing, that the Samaritan used for curing the man, oil and wine. Now, these were used, in fact, in the ancient world as curatives. The oil, though, is also part of the matter that's used in, in baptism, in confirmation, in whole, I mean, it's not this, obviously it's not the matter of baptism, which is water, but it's used in the administration and from ancient times in the administration of baptism, confirmation, holy orders, as well as extreme unction. And the wine, of course, would be the wine of the Eucharist. So this man is being healed with the sacraments that's built into this parable. Verse 35, And the next day he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou shalt spend over and above, I, at my return, will repay thee. So St. Augustine has the two pence being the double precept of charity itself, which, of course, our Lord has clearly uh, taught the man. Actually, again, the man himself said it. This is how the man himself read the Old Testament and came up with this twofold precept of charity. And it, in explaining the precept of charity, our, la- our, our Lord is explaining who our neighbor is, right? Because this guy is seeking to justify himself. And he says, who is my neighbor? And by the way, the man may have suspected that our Lord would do this, uh, so that our Lord would get himself in trouble. Um, our Lord went didn't pick just anybody, some fellow Jew. Our Lord went out of his way to pick the most despised kind of person uh, who would have lived in the midst of the in the general midst of the Jews in this area. He deliberately picked a Samaritan, um, somebody who could be a neighbor. So this person is near to the man who fell among the robbers. And even though one being a Jew, the other being a neighbor, they would, would one being a Jew, the other being a Samaritan, they would have been naturally enemies. Um, still, they're neighbors, right? So again, a neighbor is one who's near. But the Francis used to inveigh most vehemently against this idea of this general love for all mankind, because mankind is an abstraction. Um, it, it, you can't love mankind in general. You can only love individual men. And it's interesting, Brother Francis used to point out, and I think Chesterton uh, may, may have been his inspiration for this, that these folks who d- do stuff for the love of humanity often commit the most atrocious crimes, huh? population control and abortion and things that attack the family. A lot of these things are done uh, in socialism. A lot of these things are done in the name of humanity, right? But in every instance, they do something horrifically evil to men, to real men. Uh, not so. You know, we shouldn't. We don't love abstractions. Okay, we love concrete individuals, concrete, you know, real people. All right. So, um, where does that put me here? Um, 
all right. So, um, I'm sorry. I got I got lost in my uh, my notes here. Um, so the the twofold precept of charity. So now we go and we look at. Um, the ecclesiastical interpretation. And this, I believe, comes to us courtesy of St. Ambrose. So if you look at this as uh, a parable of the kingdom, which our Lord doesn't, doesn't introduce it that way, but if you look at it as the, a parable concerning the kingdom of heaven, which is the church, we can interpret it this way, that the certain man is Adam, which again means man, or humanity, right, the human race in general, who has been robbed of his possessions, i.e. grace and glory, by robbers, the devil and his minions, whom the representatives of the old law, the priest and the Levi, are ignoring and not properly helping. So the, 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 the priests of the old law, the Levites of the old law, are not properly helping man. They're not equipped, apparently. Jesus the Samaritan, a man who's most despised, comes along and provides what the man needs to be healed, the sacraments, symbolized by the wine and the oil, and brings him to the church, the inn, where he bids the innkeeper, pope, bishops, priests, to take care of him until he returns, i.e., at the second coming at the general judgment. He gives the innkeeper all that the innkeeper needs to take care of the man in the meantime, and promises that he will pay, i.e. reward, the innkeeper for his help. St. Augustine has Jericho being the earth and Jerusalem being heaven. Here, by the way, is where I was about to get ahead of myself. I realized that I had this stuff in my notes later on. Going from Jerusalem to Jericho was backsliding. Uh, it's the reverse of the route traced by Joshua and the Israelites. So when Joshua entered holy, the Holy Land, they went, you know, Joshua fit the battle at Jericho, like the old song says. So they went from Jericho uh, and, and later worked their way to Jerusalem. It wouldn't be until the time of King David that they completely conquered Jerusalem and run, run the uh, Jebusites out. But Um, The route that the Israelites followed went from Jericho to Jerusalem. Going from Jerusalem to Jericho is falling away. It's backsliding. And trust me, if you think I'm reading a lot into this stuff, you should see what the fathers of the church and the doctors of the church say about it. They parse everything. There's all kind of, and again, we're reading it with the quadriga in mind, with the literal sense, the allegorical sense, the tropological sense, and the anagogical sense. I'm not pointing out which is which because th- this can get tiresome after a time, but all these four senses are in our read of this passage. Um, stripped and wounded. So the man is stripped and wounded. What does that mean? He's stripped of supernatural virtues and graces, and he's wounded in his nature by the loss of integrity, immortality, and impassibility. These, of course, were the preternatural gifts that were given to Adam, a certain man, in the beginning, right? He lost all that stuff. Um, He got stripped of it. He got wounded. And um, the Good Samaritan comes to fix him, right? All right, so verse 36, so the parable itself is done, and now our Lord asks the rhetorical question to the man, or not a rhetorical question, actually. He asks a question that he expects the man to answer. Which of these three, in thy opinion, was neighbor to him that fell among the robbers? So, uh, which of him acted as a neighbor to him? Um, 
Now, uh, this is Alapide, I believe, himself. Most of all, however, Christ wanted to teach the lawyer that we must consider as our neighbor, not the Jew, not our friend, as the scribes claimed, but all men without exception, especially the needy and even our enemies. Now, again, our neighbor, right? I, I just said that Brother Friends invade against people who loved humanity, you know? He used to make fun of Marilyn Monroe saying to the soldiers, I love you, I love each one of you. You know, she didn't know them, you know? Um, but uh, the, the, uh, th- this is not what Alapide is saying. Alapide is saying that all men without exception, when they come nigh to us, are our neighbor, even if they belong to an enemy people, huh? So we, we should be performing, we should be loving them and performing every sort of service towards them when they become our neighbor, when they become in need. For a similar reason, in the parable of the two debtors, Christ inverted the question as to who had the greater love, namely Magdalene or Simon, which of the two loveth him most? So that's in Luke 7. All right. So, um, all right. Uh, I don't need to quote you all that stuff from a lot today. Verse 37. So this is the very last verse. But he said, he that showed mercy to him. So this is the answer of the lawyer, right? He gives the correct answer. And Jesus said to him, go and do thou in like manner. So it's very interesting because... <laughs> This guy, who is a lawyer, who obviously couldn't stand the Samaritans, um, and uh, gets this parable thrown at him. He seeks to justify himself by asking who his neighbor is, and Jesus then goes into this, launches into this parable, and the man couldn't object. Wait a minute, Samaritans are scum. You can't say this because our Lord said which. Which was him that was neighbor to him that fell among robbers? And the guy says straight out, he that showed mercy to him. And Jesus says, go and do thou in like manner. Jesus ends up commanding the man. The man was setting him up for a trap to try to, to get him to incriminate himself by his own words. And our Lord ends up teaching the man and then commanding him to go and do in like manner. Now, we don't know what happened to this fellow. I mean, he could have, you know, he could have eventually saved his soul. Who knows? But... um he ends up getting this admonition, which, of course, is transferred to all of us readers that we have to do that, too. We have to imitate the Good Samaritan. So we're reading it at multiple levels. Obviously, the Good Samaritan is Christ uh, in this alleg- allegorical sense. Uh, but in the tropological sense, we have to apply it to ourselves and say, like our Lord says, go and do thou in like manner. So note again the question, what must I do? Jesus has him do good works in order to uh, have eternal life. And here he gives him a command, go and do it thou in like manner. So here we understand, says St. Augustine in his book on Christian doctrine, that our neighbor is the one for whom we must perform a work of mercy. If he needs it and would have performed it if he had... uh, the, if he had needed it. Hence it follows that even he who must in turn perform this duty for us is our neighbor. 